Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Nick, before we get going with today's episode, do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Hell yeah, I do. I'm on screens too damn long, man. It's, this pandemic is killing me. I'm constantly doing everything on screens. Well, rough, man. let me tell you something, Nick, because I may have a solution. Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames, my friend. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the high energy blue light, eliminating 99% of the glare. Like, the glare. 99% of the glare, Nick. Damn. Wiped out. Yep. The past year, We've all been glued to our devices more than ever, as the copy tells me to note to host to tell a story. And our exposure to digital light has soared, and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Nick, how many hours, uh, uh, by the way, this is just a random question, but how many hours of sleep are you getting a night? Probably like, I got a baby, man. It's got to be like five of them lucky, five or five to six hours a night. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. Uh, my daughter wakes up at 6 a.m., and this is perfect for Baxter Blue glasses. But Baxter Blue is also a force for good, Nick, and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold, okay? Because I know your eyes are strained. So this is the eyewear that's built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or even kids' glasses, Nick. Okay, you click the link in our show notes for the exclusive discount, folks. So all you got to do right now, if you're listening to us on whatever podcast platform you use, check out the episode notes. You'll see a link there for Baxter Blue and you can buy these Baxter Blue glasses and get your 10% off because we know you will love your Baxters and we know that you will feel the difference. Hey everybody, welcome back 
to another installment of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm looking dope as hell with this blazer. I'm next to Barry. I mean, it's questionable, but I'll give it to him on this one. Wow. He checks about a C grade right there, folks. 75% mm. if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Nick, my friend, how are you, sir? How's everything going? I'm good, man. Got good weather these days. We got the WNBA draft in a couple couple days. We're trying to get more into women's sports here. Get my daughter excited. Seeing more women's sports is important to her. Coming off of the uh, women's final four, so we're we're amped here, man. Things are good. How about yeah, you? No, everything's good, man. That was a good ladies' final four, by the way. The Arizona Stanford game, no doubt. Um, you know, it's a lot of crazy things happening in the news, man. Uh, we have seen some of the unrest in Minnesota. Not only from the Derek Chauvin trial, but then what happened with Dante uh, Wright. And and then you saw the video with Karan Nazario. Um, we're going to be devoting an episode in the coming weeks uh, discussing some of this. But if you head exclusively to our Patreon page uh, at, at Can We Please Talk podcast on Patreon, uh, Nick and I are going to be doing a few segments on there and also releasing some exclusive content when we did had Michael Eric Dyson on the program to talk about racial injustices and you know and police reform in america so some good stuff there head over to our patreon page to check out all of that exclusive content um we're going to transition into our topic for today because it is about the music industry and the music industry recently lost somebody that was kind of near and dear to my heart see to live is to suffer but to survive well that's the fine meaning in the suffering. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, falling, I can't get up. Hey, yo, I'm slipping, falling, I got to get up. Get back on my feet so I can test hey, That I'm voice, the traditional bark hey, man, the songs, the rhythm, the platinum albums, Grammy nominated. Um, DMX recently passed away at the age of 50. I remember where I was. In 1998, buying that It's Dark and Hell is Hot CD uh, in Port Chester at the Coconuts, which used to be FYE, so I'm dating myself there um, <laughs> for the people that can relate to that. Um, DMX was just so pivotal in my life and, and the music, and you know he will be missed, and we're transitioning to a topic about the music industry tonight um, You know, to kind of, we felt it was fitting to pay him tribute. Nick, just your thoughts on, on DMX's passing. You know, it's funny because his music comes out in the late nineties and you can make the argument that, you know, there's a period before Jay-Z blows up, you know, we're, you know, we're two years removed from, from Tupac and Biggie dying, uh, or, you know, both being murdered sadly. And what felt like a gap in music, um, is filled tremendously. You know, yeah. here's an artist who comes out, drops these first two albums that are, are just hard hitting. And like, there's a spirit there. And like you, and, like when I heard the news, you know, I found like just a quick playlist of his stuff. And, and it's funny, it just still gets you amped up. Like yeah. it's interesting because the contrast now in hip hop is more around people being established, telling story. Like the energy is different. You know, what, what X brought in the late nineties was, was a grind that kind of reminds me of, of hip hop in, in the eighties. Like there's just, we're not going to talk about wealth. We're not going to talk about the life, the good life I live. What I'm going to tell you is a story about how I got here. And yeah. his troubles with drug addiction. And, you know, it's it's just a hard road. Honestly, the fact that he lived to 50, I think, is beyond his wildest dreams. And to all of us who miss him and appreciate his contribution, he lived a hell of a life. And I think he became even more 
like his prominence even grows as he got older and you imagine the wisdom he had and uh, what he was sharing about other artists you know in the industry and just for a good few year period like he is the guy at east coast hip-hop and that's that's something you can't deny yeah no there's a couple of things that you said there you know um in 1998 so many different artists dropped albums i mentioned dmx dropped two of them but big pun dropped his capital punishment album lauren hill dropped miseducation of lauren hill um outcast dropped an album you know uh, uh taleb quali and, and most def dropped an album so there was so much talent in that 98 album class and noriega as well dropped nore and it's funny because dmx's last kind of appearance was on noriega's podcast talking about just what you said he's like you know if something were to happen to me now i can't believe he said this you know this was taped in february and he said you know if something happens to me now I i've lived a pretty good life and so he will be missed man go you know go get uh, whatever dmx cds are available on itunes or or whatever you can streaming platform that you use download some of his songs get familiar with his catalog and transitioning to get familiar is a perfect segue because the ceo of get familiar radio uh, mr clinton sparks like i mentioned who is our guest today is one of my favorite people in the industry um this guy like i mentioned he's worked with every big time artist that you can think of from jason derulo to DJ Khaled, to P. Diddy, to 50 Cent, uh, Rick Ross, Macklemore, 2 Chains. Um, this guy is, is a legend. His mixtapes are legendary. Um, and also, he has done other things in the entrepreneur sense because he recently released a book, How to Win Big in the Music Business. It's a free book for people out there that want to learn about not only the grind of the industry itself, but like how to make it in the industry and succeed in the industry. It's a free book, which is, you know, paying it forward, I think, for that next generation. Uh, he recently launched Get Familiar Radio, which is a way for up and coming hip hop artists to pay to have their songs played on a radio station. Um, I think that's great, you know, helping out young artists that really wanna promote their music. Back in the day, it was very tough to get any type of airplay on radio stations. And this is a way for artists to promote themselves. He's branched into esports as well, so we can ask him about all that. But Nick, the the overall music industry and the landscape of it, what do you what do you make of it? What you know, interesting uh, conversation topic do you think about when you think of the music industry? Well, first and foremost, I think about the fact that you and I, and you're a couple of years younger than I am, but. Um, I, I feel blessed to come up with, to grow up in the time I did. Uh, from just a medium standpoint, you know, I remember LPs. Like I remember right. seeing, you know, Thriller on LP you know, in the record store. And literally, yes, kids, for those of you who listen who are young, you know, those big spherical things, yes, those were uh, circular things rather, uh, were albums and we bought them. Um, so I've owned records, then, then tapes blew up and I was all about tapes, uh, then CDs when we were in college. You know, with the big old books and things, slipcovers, multi-disc changers and cars, then to then to MP3. I mean, I can go on and on. But I, you know, we've lived through seeing how the medium has changed. And as the medium has changed, the way you access music has just gotten different. And I think what's fascinating now is the conversation about how how what people create is consumed by us. How does it get to us? You know, there's plenty of artists now that have been blown up through SoundCloud. You know, there's plenty of artists that we still remember guys handing out mixed CDs in, in, in subways. You know, you throw someone like 10 bucks, and they hand you a CD and it happens to be gold and no one knows about it. Um, 
all the way to now being in the age of streaming between Spotify and Apple and all these services that let you access this stuff simply from a smart device. So seeing all of it, I'm always fascinated. I mean, I remember when iTunes blew up and the concept of being able to just download music online. And for those of you who remember doing it illegally too, like in college, like I did, um, it's an interesting place to be. So I'm, I'm fascinated for that conversation. Yeah. Can't wait to talk to Clint Sparsman. He's one of my favorite people in the industry. And um, we're so excited that we get a chance to talk to him today. All right, Nick, our guest for today, I'm going to try to give this guy a proper introduction. I know I'm going to fail, but let's try. 75 million <laughs> records sold. Hit that again. The CEO of Get Familiar Radio. He is the author of the book, How to Win Big in the Music Business. He is none other than Clinton Sparks, Mr. Sparks, Mike Leon, Nick Savary. Thank you so much for hopping on the show with us today, my friend. Get familiar, baby. Thank you for having me on. It's a big show. It's a big show, man. I have to come on it. Uh, yo. He brought the sound system. I know. I love it. Come on. That's yeah, not me. It. That's not me. It's the city knowing that the <laughs> show <is>. started. <laughs> and they're like, right. guys, everybody stop what you're doing and watch. And that's right. Clinton, <laughs> you know, before we get into this, and I appreciate you doing all that. Um, before you came on, we talked about, I'm, I'm a Westchester kid in New York. Uh, 1998, I went to Coconuts, which used to be FYE to buy. It's dark and hell is hot. Um, I bought Flesh and My Flesh when it came out in December, right around Christmas time. So your thoughts on the passing of DMX at the age of 50, man? Uh, I mean, I don't think I'd say anything different than anybody else. And it's a tragic loss for uh, hip hop and for culture. So DMX meant a lot uh, to me and many other people that came up as hip hop heads and you know, the nineties and in early two thousands. And, uh, it's just horrible. You know, I, I often wondered like, you know, cause it's funny cause we, a lot of us in the music industry would, would know like he was, had some problems. Right. Um, and you would think about like the first instinct that people would say is like, well, well who's helping them? Right. Uh, where are the people that are close to him? Why aren't they helping them? And it's quick to jump to that assumption when, I don't know if you guys have dealt with people with, with any addictions or mental health issues. Um, but it's like, at some point you tried everything, you know what I mean? It's like, there's really, you can't, what else can you do? You know what I mean? So I, I, I feel the frustration of those that, that really loved him and were near and dear to him and, and he was to them. And, and I'm sure that all the people that you would expect to go help him has, has probably given it their all to do whatever they can. And it's unfortunate that, um, you know, he had some demons that, he couldn't fight or, or shake off and it, and it ended in this tragic loss of yeah, hip-hop no. icon. Yeah, you're right. Um, we echo that as well. Um, as we transition tonight, I, I told you before when you came on, um, our topic tonight is about the music industry. We want to learn about more about the music industry and more about you, my friend, because you have a, a fascinating story and all the people that you have worked with in such a legendary career. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your upbringing, what got you into the music business? Oh boy, you just asked me to like read you a book. Um, and there happens <laughs> to be right. one out. Yeah, yeah, right. There happens to be well, one out, right? Start from the day that you, you were born. Now into to today. Tell me tell us all about it. Um I was born in Boston, Mass. Um, single mom, father was an alcoholic, uh, sexually abused for many years, uh, bullied, uh, grew up in Catholic school. Um yeah, so, you know, typical kind of, you know, broke family, you know, roaches and, you know, bad neighborhood and all that type of stuff. So um, then as I started getting older and 
I uh, realized that music became, you know, I would, I would hear Teddy Riley music and I'd be like, ah, I love this. This is what I want to do. Um, so I would hear that kind of music. I mean, music's always been a part of my life. My mom was the kind of mom that always had music playing in the car or when she's cleaning the house on Saturday afternoon or whatever. So my mom would play everything from Hall & Oates to Earth, Wind & Fire to Michael Jackson, a culture club. Um, so I would listen to all that kind of music when pop music was all over the place, right, guys? Um, so that's why I have, like, pop music in my veins, right? As much as I'm a hip-hop head, I can write you a pop song smash because um, I know the chord progressions. I know what needs to be done. So anyways, um, I was a thief um, when I was young, uh, pretty bad from the age of, like, 10 to, you know, 20. 20. Um, so I stole my first set of turntables when I was, like, 12, um, and I had brought it to my house, and I would teach myself how to DJ. But prior to that, my mom had like a sound sign um, stereo system. So I'd hold in the phono and press auxiliary to cut on the chit-chit-chit-chit-chit-chit-chit. Oh, so that, yeah. that's how I teach myself how to <laughs> DJ. And then she had a dual cassette deck. So how I got into music is I would take like the, the, the musical part of a song. And you guys know, man, you guys, when you take the two cassette and you just loop the part of just the music. Uh, and then that's how I would try to write songs to that musical part. And I try to make a new song that had nothing to do with the original song. <clears throat> um, so that's what really got me into music. Those are like the first things I started doing that would indicate, okay, this guy really is into music. Um, and then when I was <clears throat> growing up, um, being a thief, I was always, you know, the guy around the neighborhood that uh, would produce or make beats or beatbox or DJ for like the older kids. And then I would start my own groups and I started winning all the talent shows back in Boston. Then I formed different groups and um, started producing all the local rappers and stuff. So then I started becoming like somebody in Boston, right? And then in your own city, like how most people, you start like doing it in your city. And then um, I uh, wanted to get major labels familiar with me. So I ended up befriending like the big DJ on the radio station in Boston. And I would kind of watch his moves and see what was going on, listen to his phone calls at radio stations. Then I became like the funny guy on the morning show. So I started writing all the skits for the morning show, really understood radio and the relationship between radio and record labels and how that works. And then I saw what I would do is I would make remixes to popular songs, but then I would also get drops from artists that would come to town. I'd go to meet and greets and get drops and I'd feed this DJ all that information so I could make myself a value add to him, right? <clears throat> make me make it so that he wanted to have me around so I could keep soaking up game. So he would, um, tell the record labels like, hey, my boy Clinton, he just made this remix to your song, you should check it out. And I noticed that they'd be like, yeah, yeah, cool. Hey dude, you playing my record? Right, so the more that I seen, he, they dismiss him promoting me and just care about their record. I thought, aha, if I become a DJ, they'll all wanna be my friends and at least give me a courtesy listen. So <laughs> so that's that's what I did. I took my, uh, I'm really just trying to condense like 20 years. Yeah. like. And, um, I found out there was a radio show that was playing on Sunday nights on Jam 94.5 in Boston, but it wasn't my friend. I'm like, what is that? He goes, oh, it's a syndicated company called Super Radio. They run the Baker Boys. But I go, how does that work? So I went to find out how that worked. I found out where I, I kept sending in demos, kept sending in demos. Kept sending, then I found out they're in my state, the, like the, home, the headquarters. So I found the address. I drove there. I made a mixtape. Um, I, I went there and I said, hey, I'm here to meet so-and-so. And they're like, he's not taking meetings. And then the guy came out and I go, look, man, if you give me five minutes of your time, you'll either find a champion without even looking or I'll never bother you again. Because I have been, I was nagging them like every week for like a year. So he was like, all right, man, take a seat. I'll see you in a while. And I think he forgot that I was there because it was five o'clock 
and I'm still in the lobby like hours later and he's like leaving and he notices me out of the corner of his eye and he's like, oh, hey man, I gotta go. Do you got the CD? And I was like, <clears throat> I do, but I don't think it's a good idea for you to leave. I think that you should probably listen to the CD before you leave. If you recall what I said to you earlier about finding a champion without looking. So he was kind of like, all right, this dude's a nuisance. Let me just listen to his shit. So he sits in there and then he's listening to it. And you know when like you look at you're behind someone, you look and you can see their cheek come out from a smile, right? Yeah. So like I seen that, I was like, got him, right? And then he put a straight face, he goes, so this is you? And I was like, yeah. I go, if you skip, you can hear some remixes I did too. And he listened, he goes, this is you too? And I was like, yeah. And then he goes, all right, cool. Hey man, I'm going to play this to Garabedian who owned it at the time, John Garabedian, if you know anything about radio. Um, and he's like, we'll get back to you. The next day, John Garabedian himself called me and he was like, Hey man, we heard your work. You know, we don't pay DJs to do mixes, but we want to pay you. When can you start? And I was like, uh, tomorrow. And then he was like, all right. And that, that was my first beginning of becoming like a legitimate DJ on radio. Then I started making mixtapes while at the same time making mixtapes. I'm driving up and down the East Coast, giving all my mixtapes for free. I'm broke, so I'm making my money to pay for gas by shoveling driveways and stuff in the winter and doing odd jobs. And then M and, Shay and Paul, Eminem and, and Paul Rosenberg opened Shade 45, and they were like, dude, we want you to come to Shade 45. The reason that happened is because when I started, before I actually got on radio, watching my friends, seeing how the labels needed promotions, I knew that the record industry was super behind on like technology. So I lied and said that I had a super cracking radio show on the internet that they'd be doing a disservice to themselves and their artists if they didn't stop by my studio, which was my mom's basement. So everybody would come to Boston. I had Eminem, Cameron, Wu-Tang, Kweli, Common. Everyone came to my mom's house to do interviews with me. And I didn't even have a real show. I would just record them and then I'd have freestyles from them that I'd put on my mixtapes that I'd end up putting out. Like I'm still friends with all these guys to this day because of doing that. Um, so then I got... Shade 45, then another station opened in Connecticut, got that, then another station in Baltimore. So I was literally in four states on four stations live every week. I paid for my own flights and my own driving to New York and Connecticut every week. So that was like really the beginning of like <clears throat> really putting in the hustle and the work to get people to know. And I, in 2000, I gave myself a five-year plan to just have record labels just take my phone call. Within two years... Um, I won New Mixtape DJ of the Year at Just Those Annual Awards in New York. I won Radio DJ of the Year. Like, I, was, I, I, I smashed my five-year plan in two years. I became one of the most, you know, top mixtape DJs in the streets. I built on a bigger radio. Then I built my own 22-city syndicated radio show on my own. Uh, <clears throat> so that was really kind of what I did. I put out my first, like, street album in 2005. Then I ended up uh, becoming a host on E! News in 2008 with Ryan Seacrest. So I started doing that. And then, um, yeah, I brought hip-hop to Hollywood. Then I brought hip-hop in Hollywood to Vegas because Vegas wasn't fucking with, like, hip-hop at all. Like, the first time I went to, to Vegas in 07, I was on the mic standing on the turntables. They, like, took the mic from me. They're like, you're not built for Vegas. And I was like, all right, cool. Come back the next year, and I build the biggest party Vegas has ever seen that lasted three years. And I was the first resident DJ to have billboards in my name on taxis and stuff. Um, so I was like, show that guy. But um, yeah, so that's really, you know, I could keep going on, but I don't, you know, if we just, we could just sit here the whole time and tell the story of Clinton. I'm sure you want to talk about other things. <laughs> you were about to, you're getting into a place now about the growth of the industry. You know, like what you saw from 
cutting tapes to, you know, just getting banging on doors to just get a chance to get your spot. Where do you see the industry now? Um, as it's, as it's just continuing, like what is the trajectory that you're seeing in the industry and what seems to be doing well and what seems to be the next thing missing? Cause you mentioned the, the embrace of technology earlier. What seems to be missing in the industry now? Ah, uh, man. I mean, there's, there's so many pros and cons. Uh, I would say the biggest pro that there's never been a better time to build a business or make money with music uh, than there is now. Uh, the con is, is that there's just too many cons out here. Uh, people are misled, misinformed, and misguided on what it takes to really build a sustainable, scalable career in the music business. And we all know, like, you know, most overnight success takes 10 years, but, you know, and those that don't put in the work, that overnight success won't last 10 years. Um, so I think a lot of this generation now, um, everything's disposable and they have so much shit coming at them that it's a, it's a very different time where, you know, if you were, if you were talented, you had to be discovered by the right people that then shared you to the other right people that then had to approve you. And then you went to this like funnel system that finally you made it through and they're like, ha ha, here's the new artist you should all know. Now, like everybody can come out and act like they're the biggest, I mean, how many times do you go on social media and you're looking like, fuck, this dude's got 2 million followers and I never even heard of him. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, and then with the, the bad part about that is 1.9 million of those are probably fake. You know what I mean? So like, and that sucks too. So it's like, people are so caught up in, you know, paying for the lie to make, to give themselves a feeling that they're in a position or, or have the success that they would like to have. And they're cheating themselves and fooling themselves that they're actually winning. And then when they lie, they expect you to treat them according to the lie that they created. Um, so I think that's what's going on a lot. And that's the bad part, uh, of the music industry, especially like, you know, the independent and unsigned artists, um, aspiring artists industry, like a $2 billion industry right now. Right. And you get so much distribution, you have so many DSPs, you have easy access to get out to the world and like, you know, do some prank or do a dance. And now your song's popping for a week. But the problem is, is people don't understand the sustainability of that, nor do they understand how to build a proper business structure. So if you do happen to catch a wave, what you can do when you're on that wave. Because once that wave, look, what's a wave in the ocean? You ride it in, you crash, and what happened? There's no more wave, right? So if you don't have it all set up for yourself, what I mean by set up is everything from your business uh, to your contracts, to your social media fees, to your website, to, to everything, man. Like, you know, people out here just get so caught up and excited over the fact like, my video went viral, right? And it's like, okay, what the fuck does that mean? You know what I mean? Like, what does that really mean? It, all that matters to them is they went viral and they were excited over that. Like every single day, there's a kid that gets excited and then he's let down. I think that's the biggest problem is like just, you know, the, this new generation is just, um, they're being fed lies, the internet lies all day. Uh, and then they join the lie fest and try to like make people believe, oh, well, they're faking, so I'm going to fake too. Oh, well, they're fake. And, and they just get sucked into this matrix of just like not being real. I want to ask a follow-up there because you are doing two things in two different avenues that I think is really interesting. Uh, one is, and I've worked in radio before, Hot 937 up in Hartford. I worked at KTU. Uh, that's, wait, that's where I was on. You were at Hot 937? I was there in 2001. I was, uh, yeah. I was an intern there working with um, Greg G, I think it was. Or, dude, um, were you there when Victor Starr was the program director? I, I was. I was there when Victor Starr was there. I was too. How do you not know each other? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was talking? only there. For, I was only there for a year. Um, Dude, what are you talking about? It was me, Craig G, for, KG, and Big Man. Yeah, we were the Craig four G. DJs. Yeah, and I was on the party crew. Like that would go out and do those. I, I, I mean, I must have been yeah. an unforgettable Puerto Rican guy. But um, uh, 
but either way we found each other now clinton right, so right, the right. transition but you you know you know this because back in the day you know you you would go to these events and people were like yo i'm trying to get on i'm trying to get on and you've done something you've taken that i'm trying to get on aspect and built get familiar radio where artists can now pay to get spins tell our audience right. first off what that means and also the concept of get familiar radio sure so you know the number one way to consume audio still is is radio worldwide right and uh so radio is one of the things and you know it's very difficult to get your music on radio uh so when you're an artist one of your first dreams especially before all dsps and soundcloud was like oh, i'm just gonna upload it here's the problem people think once they upload their music to spotify or amazon or apple or whatever like oh i'm on i'm popping all of a sudden i'm gonna go viral Are people are gonna catch catch on to me but no you're putting your song in the world's biggest warehouse full of all genres of music of millions and millions of artists that are trying to be seen just putting your song on shelf number seven million four hundred twenty seven on the back and the top doesn't mean you did your job because now you got to go market and promote and show people that you're on four million seven hundred twenty in the back and the and show them where you are so they can hear your music so you didn't do the job and it didn't do anything better than if you just fucking put your song on SoundCloud or something, right? So people are misled to believe once they're on Spotify, like, yo, check me out on all platforms. Like, that that's the job. Um, it's not, because there's a million people out, millions of people out there doing the same thing. However, there's not millions of people on the radio. Usually the, 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 the best of the best get to the radio, right? Uh, you know, and what I mean by the best of the best, it might not be your taste best, but the best meaning, usually radio has been reserved for major labels with major artists and major budgets, right? And I know that because I've been doing radio for 20 years. I also know what it takes to get your song on radio if you're a major label, or even if you're just, even from a payola standpoint, even if like a DJ's like, yo, I'll play your record on the weekends, I need a G. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you're just getting two or three spins on the weekend locally, right? So... As I was, as I came up through the ranks and I've done everything from work at Sirius for many years to be vice president of Dash Radio, to build my own syndicated radio show, to be on the stations that I, I mentioned earlier, I understand everything, um, how radio works. I also understand this modern generation of what their psychology and what they're trying to get and what they need and even the things that they don't know that they need, right? So you can fake streams, you can fake plays, you can fake likes, you can fake comments, you can fake follows. What you can't fake is actually hearing your song on the radio right between Little Baby and, and Migos, right? So I wanted to build a station, being the vice president at Dash, that gave artists the ability, just like you can go to World Star Hip Hop and, and pay whatever you want to pay to put your video up there, or, you know, go to a, pay some playlist or guide or put you on some fake playlist and stuff like that. I wanted to create something real and tangible that artists really would have a fair chance uh, to get their music played right next to the biggest artists in the world. So I created Get Familiar Radio. GetFamiliarRadio.com is the website. And what that does is it allows unsigned and independent artists to upload their music straight from the studio, right from their bedroom, wherever they're making their hot shit from, and pick a, pick a program and get right into rotation right next to Little Yachty, Drake, Post Malone, the biggest artists in the world. So think of it as this, a super dope hip-hop radio station that you can hear on Apple CarPlay, uh, Amazon, Alexa, Google, Pluto TV, Sonos, and all brand new cars that are manufactured from Porsche to Land Rover to GM to Ford. You can hear Dash Radio. That's the platform that it's on, Dash Radio. Dash Radio is basically another serious XM right? It's got 80 plus channels, commercial free. The difference between Dash and Sirius, Dash doesn't have a subscription cost. It's free. You download the app, you can listen to all the radio stations for free, commercial free. So Get Familiar Radio is my station on that platform that you can hear on all the aforementioned 
distribution platforms. So you can now upload your music, pick whatever package you want, and then your song goes in. And here's even the better part, guys. It's like, okay, someone says they're going to play my record, but now I got to sit and listen all day and wait. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so I took all the things that I know that would piss somebody off or all the things that you wish was part of radio and I made it to the station. So once you upload your music, you get an affidavit that tells you exactly what times and days your song is going to play so you can promote it to your friends, family, and fans, and you can film yourself on the screen and you can add your Instagram handle on the screen so people, when they hear your song, they can just go follow you. So it's really groundbreaking uh, for radio and for hip-hop and R&B because there's nothing like this in the world that exists. Um, and I, I, were, I spent a year and a half building this out to really help those artists get uh, the same uh, opportunities that major artists get being on major labels. GetFamiliarRadio.com, GetFamiliarRadio.com. If you're a hot artist and you got hot music and you're trying to get exposure and expand your digital reach and build an audience, then you need to be on radio. That's one of the only ways that you're going to really build an authentic audience. Because check it out. It's just like you said, a lean back experience earlier, right? Radio, it's like you're listening because you just want to hear all the hot shit. You don't want to think about it. You don't know like, ah, oh, what playlist should I go follow? Who's the new hot dude I need to be up on? So you go listen to a trusted source, like a radio station that plays all the hot shit, right? So that's what we do. And then what ends up happening is now you're being exposed to new artists that you would have never heard of. So it's just like being on a discovery page at the same time you're hearing all the hot shit. It's just like when I DJ at a club. I'm going to give you the shit you want to sing and what you want to hear, and then I'm going to slide in some dope shit that you don't know. And be like, yo, this shit is hot too. That's my job as a DJ, and that's our job as a radio station. You know, on the subject of you know just mediums, you know, we're talking about radio still being a trusted one. Another one that always comes to mind is books. You know, you've got something out right now telling an incredible story. Tell us more about it. Sure. My new book, How to Win Big in the Music Business, forward written by Damon John of FUBU or Shark Tank, depending on your age. Uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Very uh, well said. Right. So well this, said. Is, this, is the, this is the modern day guide to helping you understand and learn how to navigate your way to win big in the music business, whether you want to be a singer, a rapper, a DJ, a producer, a videographer, a choreographer, an A&R, a manager, a party promoter, whatever it is, you're going to learn all the strategies uh, uh, the, the winning proven formula is outlined in this book. Anybody that wins and continues to win, they do the things that I teach you in this book. But by the way, and by the way, the book is free. So you can get the book free at winbigandmusic.com, winbigandmusic.com. So you got nothing to lose. And it's not one of those like lead magnets, if you know what that term means. It's not one of those books that are like, here, I'm going to tell you the what, but not the how. You got to go buy this. <laughs> like, this is the what and the how. This will tell you, every, look how small it is. Like, it's going to, it just gets right to the point. And, and even in the forward, I'm, I tell you, I'm going to teach you how to do more dope shit and less whack shit. And that's what this book does. But the principles and values in this book are not limited to the music business. The principles and values are transferable to any industry, including your own personal relationships. So if you take your career serious and you want to improve, then winbiginmusic.com, winbiginmusic.com. Get your free book now. Get familiar. I think it's a great concept. There it oh, is. Get, oh, get, thanks, guys. Clap that shit up. That's, yeah. that, that's real. Yeah. Get familiar, folks. Getting a, giving a free book out. That is, uh, I, that's why I love the concept of both Get Familiar Radio and, and, and the book as well, paying it forward for that next generation. I wanted to ask you, Let's stay on this generation, last generation. I mentioned at the top before you came on, all the legendary people you've worked with, uh, not only in the industry. What's a partnership or, or a track that you produced uh, that you worked on with somebody that you were super proud of? And what's one that, you know, it just didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Uh, and I wish I could have made a better record or had a better relationship with that artist. Well, the one record that got away that I thought was gonna change my life 
and I owned 80% of the record, uh, was Beyonce. I did a record with Beyonce called, uh, um, well, it was called Inevitably, and then she changed it to Forever to Bleed. Why did you change the title? She's like, well, my Southern slang was hard to say inevitably. I'm like, forever to bleed was easy to say. I go, it sounds like a, a, a period song, like a menstruating song, forever to bleed. And then she was like, and she's like, ah, oh, you're crazy. And I was like, no, inevitably, just the title, inevitably. Like, I'm really big into like, even book titles, right? You look at headlines or you look at clickbait, right? What is it? It's the word or the phrase, right? That makes you say, hmm, what is that? If you looked at a title by Beyonce called inevitably, You'd be like, that's an interesting title. I want to know what that song's about, right? Forever to bleed, like, it's just, I don't know, whatever. So we joked around about that. But anyways, so we made that record, and I got the whole congratulations. You made the album, uploaded to Sterling Sound to get mastered. But I was like, oh, holy shit. And I, this is coming off of, I just wrote and produced a record for Akon called Sorry, Blame It On Me. That debuted number seven on Billboard, right? And my next record was Beyonce. So I'm like, oh, oh, oh shit. This this is everything I work for, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and I own, by the way, so I wrote and produced the whole song and I'm thinking Beyonce's going to come beast on me and take like 50% of the record. They were just like, yeah, she just wants 20%. And I'm like, sure. So I'm thinking I'm about to own 80% of a Beyonce record. I'm already thinking 20 years from then. Like this month, this is going to be worth a lot of money, 20 years, right? And then what ended up happening is the record leaked. And then when it leaked, like it bummed Beyonce out and she was just like, ah, like it ruined the whole cachet of the album and the secrecy of it. And now like, I'm going to take this song off, off the track list now. So that was the one that got away that I was super bummed about. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know, man, every record I made has a story to it. Nothing. It's such a flex. I know. I was going to say for the people, for the, for the people on the audio platforms, my man, Clinton Sparks, Grammy nominated producer, 75 million records sold, just turned around to his wall of records, hit records. Right, right. It's like Michael trying to flex. No, no. It's like Michael Jordan turning around being like, hold on, let me see which, which title or MVP. I I like the 84 Air Jordans. Now, wait a minute. Well, let's ask because you've got a bunch of records there. I see the Pitbull album. That was a great album. Um, So which one on there on that wall? Give us one that you are just so proud of. Um, I guess Turn Down For What? Uh, Because one, my ability to discover DJ Snake in 07 and see the potential in him. Um, And then really working with him for several years. We made like several platinum records um, and got a Grammy nomination together before we even did turn down for what, right? I'm the one that introduced him to Little John. Um, and then there was a lot of shit behind the scenes that almost made that record not happen. So I'm proud of discovering DJ Snake, working with him for this long, teaching him how to make pop records, introducing him to Little John, and then ha- being the word of reason, the voice of reason when it came to the battle between that record. So, um, I'm proud of that record the most. And, you know, we've sold millions and millions of that record. Uh, that record was, fuck, man. That record, <laughs> Great song. I, yeah, it's like, it's like, it was basically a party break record. You know what I mean? Yeah. That like became like the new pop phenomenon. It was the biggest record of the year. 
you couldn't go anywhere without hair and turn down for what? So the funny side story is Little Snake hated the phrase turn down for what? And he didn't want it to be called turn down for what? And John was like, man, fuck your French friend, man. <laughs> turn down for what? <laughs> and, and, I, and he's like, Snake wanted to say bang underground because he had a sample on there from Redman that was like bang underground. And he was like, yeah, turn down for what's cool, but can you just say bang underground? And, and John was like, no, you fucker. Like turn down for what is the hot shit? And like, and it's so funny. Like if John didn't gangster that song and just do what the fuck he wanted to do with it, that would like snake wouldn't be where he is. The record wouldn't have been a hit. Like John did everything wrong, but right. You know what I'm saying? Like he yeah. did everything you like legally weren't supposed to do, but in the end it made them both like John was on the way of like, John was like bordering, like not being hot anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like that record really revived John too. And, and it made snake a superstar and made us all a lot of money. So, you know, that's, that's, that's probably my proudest record. Or, oh, and what can I just have, can I have a part two to the proudest record? Yeah, always. Yeah, always. You can have a, you can have part seven. You just well, tell us about the story of turn down for what almost being a, a ridiculous hook, which would, would never have worked, but, <laughs> right. but yeah, go ahead. So, so this plaque right here, the Biggie, uh, Biggie duets. Yeah. The duets the final album. chapter album. So I did the first single on that with Biggie and Bar Marley that went platinum and had a video and stuff. Um, but when I went to, to daddy's house to work on, on this, this album, which I was so fortunate enough to get called into, um, I went in and I said to Puff, I go, dude, nobody wants to hear another Biggie album of just recycled lyrics that we've heard a million times on mixtapes and remixes. And by like, it's so fucking beat to death, right? I was like, you know what would be a sick concept? And by the way, I'm the guy that always comes in the room with the greatest idea and like 90% of the time, it's people don't get it, it's over their head, right? So I go and I say, what would it be like if Biggie went to heaven and made an album with all of the other dead legends that were in heaven with him? I go, that would be a concept, right? So I go, he goes, I don't know, man, I don't know. Man, I don't know. Like he was just making it seem like that was a whack idea. So then I went and I made records with him and Luther Vandross, him and Frank Sinatra, him and Aaliyah, uh, him and Bob Marley, um, a whole bunch of records with just other people that had passed away. Like imagine that. Imagine you're like, yo, Biggie went to heaven and made a killer album with everybody else dead up in heaven. That's fucking a legend. Like, would you not listen to that album? Yeah, I'm about to download just, just now. hearing that I concept. I mean, exactly. I already bought the Duets album and it was with live people. So <laughs> exactly. But imagine if that was the concept. You'd be like, oh, this right. is crazy. And then, like, obviously, look it. It made sense. Look what I did with the Bob Marley one. That's the only one they kept. You know, funny thing is, I'm, the one I made with Aaliyah, I had Neo put a hook on it because I was like, yo, I'm in here working on this album. Can you do a hook? So he did a hook. And they never used it. I ended up giving that record to Rick Ross, and Rick Ross used that record on his Ashes to Ashes mixtape. But pretty much every song up here, guys, like that Ludacris record, like uh, this, the, yeah. I did a record on this album, uh, uh, Call Up the Homies. Oh, the other record I was going to tell us not on that album. I did a record called Down in the Dirty with him, Rick Ross, and Bun B, which, by the way, was one of Rick Ross's first big checks and cameo in another video that I made happen for Rick Ross. But, um, I played the beat to Ludacris and he was like, man, what else you got? And I was like, what? I was like, I, I was like, this beat is crazy. This beat is you all day. And he was like, uh, what else you got? I'm like, I don't have nothing else. And I left because I was like pissed off because I'm like, this dude, this is Ludacris all day. So he didn't hear the beat. 
he didn't hear it. So I, uh, he didn't hear what to do with it. So then I hit Ludacris's engineer and I was like, yo, send me this acapella verse that Luda did on this mixtape. Then I hit Rick Ross's engineer and I was like, send me this Rick Ross verse that he did on this mixtape. Then I made a chorus. Then I sent the song to Bun B. I was like, yo, Luda and Ross is on here. Can you throw a verse on here? Bun B did a verse. I then brought it back to Ludacris, done. It became the first single off, off his next Disturbing the Peace album. And I got a big check for it. We shot, I'm in the video, down in the dirty. You can see the video. He says my name and everything in the song. So you got to like, you got to paint the picture for people, man. That's the other thing, guys. When I started, I never ever attached myself to something that I needed that to lift me up. Or if that fell apart, it ruined me. I was always Clinton Sparks, get familiar. Clinton Sparks, we thank you for coming on the show today, my friend. All the best. Continued success. GetFamiliarRadio.com. Go get the book, How to Win Big in the Music Business. You can check them out Monday nights, Win Big with Clinton Sparks, live on Twitch, one of the biggest platforms out there. Mr. Clinton Sparks, thank By you so way, much. The show, my show on Twitch is the biggest music and business show on Twitch. We're almost at 7 million in audience. So thanks get for it. plugging that. I forgot. I mean, the man is flexing in a room with gold records, <laughs> platinum records behind him. He is Get Familiar Radio. CEO, Clint Sparks. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Mike and Nick. I appreciate it, man. All right. That was Clinton Sparks, GetFamiliarRadio.com, um, the author of How to Win Big in the Music Business. Check out his show as well, Win Big with Clinton Sparks, every Monday night on Twitch. Um, so, I mean, there's so much, you know, really so much. 75 million records sold. You heard some of the stories of some of the artists he's worked with. Nick, what do you make of Clint and the music business, man? Yeah, just, I mean, he tells a great story. I mean, there's a ton of stories that we learned there, but also just him telling the story of his, of his life and just the nuggets along the way of the things he learned. I mean, again, like so many people on this show, you know, people open up to us about their path to where they are, like today when they're being interviewed. Yeah. And it's like what those pieces of wisdom were. And I think throughout the show, there was just tons of advice that he was given about the music industry, life. Um, yeah, yeah, so much folks check out our patreon page because clinton sparks goes in on a bunch of different artists <laughs> and about the business itself i mean there's just so many stories uh the overlaps the places that he's worked at so head to patreon type in can we please talk podcast and you can find all the exclusive content all this exclusive content excuse me that's going to live on that uh as for our show as always nick's smashing the subscribe button on youtube audio platforms you know them by now hit subscribe leave us a review and follow us uh as always i'm mike leon i'm nick Saveri. check us out ig tiktok twitter at can we please talk podcast have a good night everybody later When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.